We'll get you to stand up with us. Would you do that? We'll have to wait till they get it up there. This is called Come and Go With Me to My Father's House. Okay? Everybody, let's make a joyful noise. Ready? Come and go with me to my father's house. To my father's house. To my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Jesus is the way to my father's house. To my father's house. To my father's house, Jesus is the way to my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. So come and go with me to my father's house, to my father's house, where? To my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. Jesus is the truth in my father's house, in my father's house, in my father's house. Jesus is the truth in my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. Jesus is the life of my father's house, of my father's house, of my father's house. Jesus is the life of my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. So come and go with me to my father's house, to my father's house. To my father's house, come and go with me to my father's house, where there's joy, 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 where there's joy, 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 where there's joy, joy, joy. Y'all look joyful this morning. Do any of you play the bass guitar? Anybody out there play the bass? Well, our bass man's not here today. <laughs> I was going to put you up here playing the bass if you have you know one. We miss that bass. Darlene is here. Isn't that Darlene back hey, there? Hey, Darlene. <laughs> Great to Darlene Leach, and I she has that. a friend with her. A, Thank you for a coming. A friend. <laughs> We've known Darlene. Darlene is. Ty Bollinger, he's lost about 100 pounds. <laughs> yeah. You I look didn't good, hardly Ty. see you come in. <laughs> you look good. All right, now here's an old song. I think we have this up on the board, too. And I don't know if any of you know this, but way back, this came out of the Civil War. Back in the days of the Civil War, they would divide them up into three companies. And one company would sing one verse, and the second company would answer, and then they'd all join together on the third verse. So we're going to teach you this this morning. Go. Say, sinner, will you meet me? Say, sinner, will you meet me? Say, sinner, will you meet me on Canaan's happy shore? 
By the grace of God, I will meet you. By the grace of God, I'll meet you. By the grace of God, I'll meet you on Canaan's happy shore. There was shout and give him glory. There was shout and give him glory. There was shout and give First, one more time. Say, sinner, will you meet me? Say, sinner, will you meet me? Say, sinner, will you meet me on Canaan's happy shore? Amen. Can I tell them the story behind that song? You did? Okay. I was listening, but I didn't hear all of it. <laughs> all right, if you'll remain standing for a moment and open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Today, I'm going to. bring you a little interruption to the series of studies that we are having on the life of Joseph. I'm going to interrupt that and speak to you about something else. Let's first appeal to the Lord and ask him to help us as we open his holy word. Father, I stretch my hands to Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse 9, Romans 9, 9. This is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. These are the words of God as he spoke to Abraham. Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, says Paul, who is the writer of this epistle, but when Rebekah had conceived by our father Isaac, now Isaac, of course, was the son of Abraham, and his wife was Rebekah. So when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children were not yet born, 
Neither had they done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, The elder, the oldest boy, shall serve the youngest boy. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that wills this compassion, this mercy, it's not of the will of man, it's not of him that runs, it's not of the works, the doings of man, but it's of God that shows mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he will he hardens. You will say then unto me, why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who are you? to reply against God. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory even us, he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he said in Hosea, Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and I will call her my beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about the freedom of God. Who has resisted his will? That is found in verse 19. Now, as I say, we've been engaged for some time in a series of studies about Joseph, and we're going to continue that, God willing, uh, the next time that I speak to you. But as I used to do in the past, I would interrupt these long series with some type of topical message. Now, I want, you to, I want to ask each of you a question, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you can answer this question in your own heart, in your own mind, and in your own soul, and is this, do you really, really, truly, down in the deep recesses of your heart and your soul, trust the Lord? 
Do you really trust him? Full salvation, including justification, is to be had through faith only, not by the works of the law. That is, by Christ and not by Moses. So we have an objection, and I'm going to cover some of these verses with you in uh, chapter 9. The objection is, what becomes of the Jews who remain in unbelief? What becomes of the promises made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and all the others? Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, they are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. All of these things were given to Israel. Whose are the fathers, that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, those are the fathers of Israel, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, Christ came into the world through a tribe of Judah, the tribe of Judah of the nation of Israel, who is over all God blessed forever. So what the, what the question is here, what happens to all those promises we just read about, all of these covenants, all this glory, the adoption, the service of God, which was done by the priest in the temple, the promises, what happens to all of that? Well, this is a great burden on the heart of the man who's writing these words. Look at verses 1 and 2. Great burden. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish, verse 3, I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then we read the verse, who are Israelites, who have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. Paul says, I'm burdened for those to whom I am kin after the flesh, Israelites. I have a great burden for them. So the question comes up, have those promises been nullified and made of non-effect? Paul says no in verse 6. Not as though the word of God has taken non-effect, but notice what he says. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. What does that mean? Well, this denial saying that the promise of God has not been nullified, once I just read to you in verse 6, this lends itself to an illustration to illustrate the doctrine of what's called predestination. So first thing he says is, number one, he says in verse 6, not all in Israel after the flesh are members of the Israel of God. Number two, he says there is a difference between the sperma, the seed, of Abraham and the technon, the children of God. Look at the first part of verse 7. Neither because they are the seed. Now that word seed is the Greek word sperma. You can hear the word sperm there. Okay? 
neither because they are the sperm of Abraham are they all the technon, T-E-K-N-O-N, the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he says there's a difference between the sperma, the seed of Abraham, and the technon, the children of God. There's a difference, he says. Children of Abraham are not automatically children of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ said the same thing to the Jews who called Abraham their father. I'm going to tell you where it is, and you can read it later, but it's in John chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 33 through 39, or portions of it. The Jews said to Jesus, we are Abraham's seed. We are Abraham's sperma. And we have never been in bondage to any man. And Jesus answered and said, I know that you are Abraham's sperma. I know you're Abraham's seed. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered and they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's technon, if you were Abraham's children, I know you're Abraham's sperma, but you're not Abraham's children. If you were Abraham's children, he said, you would do the works of Abraham. What was Abraham known for? One thing, Abraham believed God. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what he's known for. And our faith, if we have saving faith, our faith is Abrahamic faith. I preached on Abrahamic faith a whole series many, many, many years ago. Maybe we could dig it up and make it available to you. The faith we have is the same faith that Abraham had. Jesus said of Abraham, he said, Your father Abraham saw my day. And he rejoiced. Abraham saw his day through faith. We see his day, the day that's passed when he came here, through faith. And we see the day he's coming again through faith. We see that. So Jesus agrees with what Paul is saying here. Again, verse 6 says, Not all in Israel after the flesh are members of the Israel of God. Paul says there is a spiritual Israel within ethnic Israel. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul uses this name Israel to denote all the people of God, which includes Jews and Gentiles. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16. Now back here in, in Romans 9, now the writer, Paul, is going to prove his point about an Israel within Israel in verses 7 through 13. So I hope you have your Bibles open there. The first part of verse 7, he's going to tell us that the children of God are prefigured and illustrated in Isaac, the miracle child of Abraham. Look at verse 7. Neither because they are his, the seed of Abraham... Uh, are they all children? The, the sperma of Abraham, are they all technon, children? But in Isaac 
shall thy seed be called. Now Isaac had a brother, and his name was what? Ishmael. Ishmael, Isaac and Ishmael. So both Ishmael and Isaac were Abraham's seed. But only Isaac was promised to Abraham. Ishmael was not. You remember God told Abraham, you are going to have a son? He kept telling him, you're going to have a son? You're going to have a son? And Abraham, and especially Sarah, do what we do all the time, got tired of waiting. And so Sarah said, hey, ain't no way in the world I'm going to be able to have a son. I'm too old. So I tell you what, you go in with my maid Hagar, the Egyptian maid that I have, and let her bear a child for me. Isn't that what we're doing today? We have women today who have the children for somebody else. And so that's what they did. And so they had a child named Ishmael. Abraham's son was named Ishmael, but he had it with Hagar, the Egyptian. But that boy wasn't the boy God promised. That was the boy that Abraham and Sarah and Hagar worked up. That was their their plan, their scheme. But God kept telling Abraham, no, I said, you're going to have a son, and your, your wife, Sarah, she's going to have it. So that means that Isaac was a miracle child, because he was born to a woman who was literally too old to have children, and to a man who was too old to beget children. But the Bible says right here, based upon the narrative in Genesis that Isaac is the one through whom the promise to Abraham is fulfilled and carried forward, and Ishmael is not. In Genesis 21, 12, God said to Abraham, when Sarah said to Abraham, after Sarah had had a son named Isaac, she saw Ishmael making fun of Isaac one day. And you know how mothers are. And Ishmael was many years older than Isaac. Abraham was 87 years old when Isaac was born. He was 100 years old. I mean, he was 87 years old when Ishmael was born. And he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So there's 13 years difference between those two boys. So Sarah sees Ishmael kind of picking on Isaac. And she went to Abraham and she said, I'm not going to have this. You send that boy and his mother out of this camp. You get rid of them. And Abraham went before God and he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, because Ishmael was his son. And the Lord said this, Genesis 21, 12, listen unto Sarah, do what she says, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, Ishmael, and because of the bondwoman, Hagar, Ishmael's mother, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis 21 and verse 12. So here's the bottom line. Spiritual descent from Abraham is not based on birth, but on God's promise. Now follow me, spiritual descent from Abraham is not based on birth, 
but on God's promise. And here's the point. All children of God, and I'm going to show you this, all children of God are promised and called. Look at verse 7 again. It says, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, verse 8, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now remember what I told you earlier. Paul's got this burden on him for his own brothers and sisters after the flesh, the Jews. Because they had the promises and they had the covenants and they had all of this. He says that right here uh, as we read it in verse 4. We're in Romans 9. And so all of the children of God, what he's saying is Isaac is an example and he's an illustration of all people who become children of God. If you're a child of God, you were promised to the Lord Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, now don't, don't start thinking I'm saying something that I'm not. I want to assure you this morning, because you'll hear me say this several times, that the sovereignty of God and the freedom of His will, I mean, think about it. We always argue for our, the freedom of our own will. Well, what about God's will? Does He not have the right to do what He will? Yes. And he is so sovereign that he's arranged this in such a way that there's no violation whatsoever to any person's will. But all of us would have to admit that God knows what will happen, but there's a difference between foreseen and foreordination. Foreseen is to see what happens. Foreknowledge is see what happens before it happens, but it's used in a different way in the Scripture But foreordination means God has determined things that will happen. Okay? So just stay with me. Only the Son promised and given by God the Father, the only children that count are the ones that He gives. Look at verse 9. This is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So this boy that was promised was promised by God, and the Lord treats Abraham as though he doesn't have any other children. When he told Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, you remember the story? You've all heard it since you've been children. When Abraham takes his boy up to Mount Moriah, and God said, I want you to take him up there and offer him up to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham thought he was going to have to slay his own son. And he got, he got, when they were on the way, Isaac said, Father, here's the wood. We've got everything necessary, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. That has two meanings. Number one, God will provide. Number two, God himself will be the lamb provided. Is not Jesus called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? God himself provided himself as a lamb later in history, all pictured and portrayed in Isaac. So remember when he got Isaac up there and he had him tied down and he raised his knife to to cut his throat? 
that the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch him. Don't touch your boy. Now I know that you trust me, seeing you have not withheld thine only son. And Abraham looked around, and there was a ram caught in a bush. His horns were caught in the bush. And Abraham untied his boy Isaac, got him up off of that uh, bed there, got that ram, put him in Isaac's place, and cut the ram's throat. What is that? That's a picture of substitution. That's a picture of Christ taking our place. Instead of our throats being cut, Christ's throat was cut. Instead of us dying, he died in our place. All of this portrays the gospel. The purpose and the perfect plan of God stands upon the will of God in eternity, which is outside the will of man and his experience in time. Look at verses 10 and 11. Not only this, but when Rebekah, now he's already made this point with Isaac and Abraham, now he's going to make a, a point with, with Abraham's son Isaac and his wife Rebekah. Not only is this true, he says, but when Rebekah had conceived by our father Isaac, before the children were born, verse 11, before they had done any good or evil, in order that clearly the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls, it was said to her, to Rebecca, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, you got twins in your womb, and the oldest boy is going to serve the youngest boy. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. My dear friends, this says that the purpose and perfect plan of God stands upon the will of God in eternity, which is outside the will of man and his experience in time. It is the election of God and not the decision of man that makes men and women children of God. This is what he tells us in verse 11. He could not have chosen one of these boys because he did something good. He couldn't have rejected the other one because he did something bad, because he did something before they were ever born. Now, if you go back and you study the life of Esau and the life of Isaac, you'll see that no, no violence was done to their wills, and you'll see that Esau was what he was because he was a rebel against God, and the Lord knew that. But I want you to know that it is the sovereign God who determines who will serve whom. Look at verse 12. It was said unto her, The eldest shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It is the sovereign God who determines who will serve whom. Now, the issue under consideration here is mercy and righteousness. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is, there un is that an unrighteous thing for God to do that? Now you know you're understanding the text if it comes up in your mind. That doesn't seem right to me. If that comes out, came up in your mind while you're looking at that, you got it. You got, you got exactly what Paul is saying. He knows that we're going to say that. And so he asked the question, is there unrighteousness 
with God. So the, the issue here under consideration is mercy and righteousness. And the question is, in whose hand is mercy? In whose hand is righteousness? Would we dare say that in the sinner's hand, in the, the deciding factor of eternal matters of salvation is in the sinner's hands? <laughs> and I got news. I don't know if you all are like I am, but there's some days I wake up, I don't feel too saved. I'm like a bouncing ball. I'm up and down and in and out. One day I'm all conquered world. Next day I'm all run and hide. Guess what? Everybody in the Bible is like that. Elijah went out there and contested 450 prophets of Baal. And after he had done away with them, the next day he was running as hard as he could run from Jezebel. Who said, brother, when I, when, if the sun sets before I remove your head, I'm going to get you. And he's running and hiding in a cave. So why would we think that God would base eternal matters on fickle sinners like we are? Many obviously think that if the matter of mercy and righteousness is not decided by the sinner, then God is unrighteous. But I say again, what about the will of God? They say, well, we've got freedom to choose. What about God? Does he have any freedom to choose? We're going to deny him freedom so we can have ours? Is that it? Is that what we're doing? That's what most people are doing. Now listen to me. It is impossible for absolute, perfect, and eternal righteousness to change or in any way be altered, increased, or diminished by anyone or anything. James tells us in James 1.17 that with God there is no variableness or any shadow of turning. That is, there's no inconsistency, there's no variation, there's not even a shadow of change in the sovereign God. God is immutable, that is, he is changeless in all of his attributes. His justice doesn't change. His righteousness doesn't change. His goodness doesn't change. His mercy doesn't change. His truth doesn't change. His love doesn't change. He will not change, and he cannot be changed. He is righteous. He's always been righteous, and he'll always be righteous, and it's impossible for him to act in an unrighteous way. So can mercy and righteousness be determined by unmerciful and unrighteous fallen human beings? Must God make his decisions based upon the decisions of men? No, my friends, it is the will of God that decides the matter. Now, you remember the question I asked you before I even opened the Bible this morning? I said, do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? I asked you that question. When you don't know what he's doing, do you really trust him? Or do you only trust him insofar as you're doing okay and you can see what he's doing and boy, the Lord's blessing me. But what about when everything goes backwards? What about when you're in the hospital? What about when the doctor's standing there shaking his head saying, I don't know, may not make it through the night. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? Let me tell you this. Paul emphatically says God forbid, verse 14, there is no unrighteousness with God. 
So we ask this question, from whence comes mercy and compassion? Where does all mercy and compassion have its origin? Look at verse 15. He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Mercy and compassion originates with the Lord. Does it not? Mercy is to be traced not to the will of man, but to the will of God. Not to the works of man, but to the works of God. This is verse 16. So then, verse 16, is not of him that wills. It's not man's will that makes the difference. It's not of him that runs. It's not man's doing, running to do something, or not do something that makes the difference. But it's God that shows mercy. You know, this is a wonderful thing. If you ever get a hold of it, I don't have time to enlarge it this morning. But if you ever get a hold of this, you'll understand that once you have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean really trust in Him. Now you're going to really think I've gone off my rocker here, but this is what I've been believing ever since I've been saved. Nothing you do or don't do after you're saved removes you from being his child. Nothing you do or don't do removes you from being his child. The prodigal son, while he was down there in riotous living and partying and drinking and all that, he was still his father's son. And his father brought him back. He brought him back. He worked in him, really, said the father saw him coming. But in this dispensation in which we live of the gospel, the Spirit of God works in the children of God. And if you don't, if you, we, we looked at this a little bit last week in the study of Joseph. If you are disobedient, he chastens those whom he loves. If you don't think the Lord give you a spanking, if you belong to him, he can give you a spanking. That doesn't mean breaking your back or breaking your leg. It doesn't mean God is part of the mafioso. There are lots of ways that the Lord has of chastening us. But if you belong to him, he's not going to just let us continue to spit in his face if after we are saved, but he will never kick us out of the family. Why? Because our security is in Christ, who is seated in the heavens next to the Father on the throne of God, And when he died, I died. When he paid for sin, I paid for sin. When he rose again, I rose again. When he ascended into the heavens, I ascended. And Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ our Lord. So I'm here to tell you that after you're you're saved, you're still a sinner. (laughs) And you're going to continue to fall short. But nothing you do or don't do impacts your relationship. Well, I won't say it that way. It will impact your relationship, but it won't impact the fact of you being God's child. If you've ever been his child, you'll always be a child. You can break the relationship or be out of fellowship. I think the, the prodigal son is an example of that. I think he was out of fellowship. He had left the Father. He had disobeyed the Father, but the, but, but the Spirit of God brought him back. Now, is mercy to be traced to the will of man or to God? 
to the works of man or to the works of God, verse 16 says, no, it's not of man, it's of God. Now, the answers to these questions is illustrated in verse 17. In verse 17, Pharaoh and Israel. The scripture says to Pharaoh, even for this same purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in thee. What power? The power to destroy you. The power to bring you down. The power to judge you that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. We're still talking about when God delivered Israel from Egypt today and how he opened up the Red Sea and how he preserved them through the wilderness. We're still talking about that and we will be talking about that as long as there are human beings in this world. And he says here that this Pharaoh who knew nothing about the God of Israel, that God raised him up and put him on that throne. You know who put Mr. Biden in the presidency? The Lord God Almighty put him in there just like he put Mr. Trump in there. And I'll tell you something, my friends. It is God who determines the way history is going. That's right. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be praying and asking the Lord to change the guard. Maybe you voted for Mr. Biden, and that's your privilege. Maybe you voted for Mr. Trump, and that's your privilege. But I'll tell you, above all of that, God put Mr. Pharaoh on the throne of Egypt. And he put Mr. Trump in the presidency. He put Mr. Biden in the presidency. So the answers to this question, these questions about unrighteousness of God, where's mercy, where, where's, it's going to be illustrated for us now in Pharaoh. And he says here in verse 17, he said that God raised up Pharaoh to show his power to deliver his people and his power to destroy the Pharaoh that his name might be declared throughout all the earth, and therefore he concludes, verse 18, the argument is concluded, verse 18, therefore, the writer says, he has mercy on whom he will. Now some of you are going to have a translation that says like this, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. That have mercy is not in the text. What it literally says is, he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he wills, he hardens. I want you to turn in your Bibles, and I want you to see this. I want you to turn back to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, all the way back to maybe, I think, chapter 4. I'll tell you in just a moment. The objection is this. Here's the objection now. After he says he has mercy on whom he will, then he comes to this objection that we read earlier, verse 19. Well, you will say to me then, why does he find fault for who has resisted his will? That's Romans 9, 19. We'll come back to this in just a moment. And Paul answers and says, well, who are you to talk back to God? Who are you to talk back to God? Now look in Exodus, the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, Genesis Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go to return into Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, 
But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. He told Moses, I'm going to harden his heart before you ever get there. You go back and you be sure you do everything I've told you to do. We're going to do all these miracles, but I'm going to harden his heart. All right, Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses to let the people go. Verses 13 and 14. All right, look about verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he listen unto them as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Verse 19, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Verse 32, same chapter. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Chapter 9, chapter 9 of Exodus, and verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of Israelites dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. God sent a plague, and every one of Pharaoh's cattle died, and he went over there and sent a messenger over to Goshen, where Israel was, and there wasn't a one of their cows dead, not a one of them, but all of his were. That's amazing. Do you trust God? <laughs> All right, verse 12. Verse 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not of them as the Lord had spoken. Verses 34 and 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail... And the thunders were ceased. He sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Chapter 10, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show my signs before him. Is this not amazing? Verse 20 and verse 27. Verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. We're almost done now. Chapter 11. I just want you to see it's not just a time or two here. Chapter 11. Verse 10. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. 
Chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. This was when Israel had been released and they'd gone out to the Red Sea. And, Mo, and God said, I'm going to harden his heart so he'll follow after Israel. And then I can do this famous miracle that we're all talking about, opening up the Red Sea. I'll harden his heart and he'll follow after them. And I'll be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all of his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. I'm not a little toy that you play around with. I am God. Amazing. Verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. And finally, verse 17, And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they'll follow Israel through the Red Sea. And I get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. See, Israel went across. And I want you to know this. When God opened up the Red Sea, there wasn't mud. He blew on it and it was dry ground. You couldn't get those chariots through there on that mud. I told you about that little boy up at Belmont, didn't you, years back when I was at Belmont? My professor, in one of the courses I was taking in history, he said, a little boy, said, a, a, a man said to him, son, you know that when they, when they crossed the uh, Red Sea, it really wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And said, you know, when they crossed, the water was only two feet deep. And the little boy said, golly, it's even a bigger miracle than I thought. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, he drowned all of Pharaoh and his chariots in two feet of water. <laughs> I won't turn to these passages, but Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 30 says that God hardened Sihon, the king of Hesbon, so that they wouldn't let Israel pass through their, their territory. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 20, it said he hardened the hearts of Israel's enemies so that they would attack Israel, so that through Israel they would all be destroyed. One of the reasons he sent Israel into Canaan is because all those people were terrible, ungodly sinners and people, and he sent Israel in there and wiped them out through Israel. That's one of the reasons he sent them in there. So let's go back to Romans 9. Now I wonder why we don't hear these things today. This is in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you this. I have read all of the arguments. All of the arguments by the theologians and the philosophers and the preachers and the pastors to try to explain this away and say, well, now what he did when he hardened, he just withholds this and hardens it, doesn't make any difference. What you say, the result is that their hearts were hardened and they were hardened by the will of God. And he tells us right here in Romans chapter 9, we just read it earlier, verse 18, Therefore he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he will he hardens. And then they're going to bring up this question, well, why does he find fault then? Verse 19, for who has resisted his will? 
And I'm going to close this out, but there's a lot more I could say, but I'm going, to, I'm going to close it out with a few observations, and I hope you'll listen carefully. Number one, to know the will of God, we must read the Bible. <laughs> God's will is in two categories, his revealed will and his secret will. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. There's no sense in me worrying about what I don't know anything about. So if I want to know what God's revealed will is, and that's where I'm responsible, I'm responsible to know his revealed will. And he says in his revealed will, Jesus says, whoever believes on me, I'll save him. Is that right? I don't have any problem with that. I will give eternal life to anybody who believes on me as their Lord and their Savior. So to know his will, we must read the Bible. Number two, as I've already said, the revealed will of God is recorded in the Scriptures. Whatever is revealed is for us to know, to believe, to obey. It's all for our spiritual profit. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, that is to make us change our minds and our lives about things, for correction, we're going the wrong way, go the other way, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is given to the children of God to teach them, to reprove them, to correct them, and to instruct them. That's what it says, 2 Timothy 3.16. You should, you should, it goes on to say that the man of God, the woman of God, might be, says in the King James Version, perfect. From the Greek term, that means mature. You might be mature. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Having everything you need to serve the Lord in an acceptable manner. That's all in the Bible. Then the word of God will sanctify us and cut away the things of the flesh and the things of the world. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful, that is, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It, it divides the soul and the spirit and the spiritual joints and marrow, and it is a discerner, a critic, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It judges the desires and the thoughts and the purposes of our minds and our souls. That's why we need to read the Word of God. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is for the children of God, and the children of God are those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living Word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something here, and you can read this later and study it. It's John chapter 10, verses 26, 27, and 28, when people ask Jesus, when these Jews ask Jesus, and they said, well, you say you're the Messiah, other people say you're the Messiah, give us something that we might believe you, that you're the Messiah. All right, here's what Jesus said now, from John chapter 10, verse 26. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen to this now. 
But you believe not because you're not of my sheep. He did not say you're not of my sheep because you don't believe. He said you don't believe because you're not my sheep. I know my sheep because they believe me. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He said, the reason you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. So I'm asking you today, do you belong to Christ? Do you really believe him? Do you really trust him? The third statement I want to make in closing is, resisting the will of God will lead to destruction. Now, what does it say here in Romans chapter 9 and verse 19? Who has resisted his will? I'm limiting that to the will that we know, the Bible. Have you resisted his will? Many times probably we've resisted his secret will, but we didn't know it until we got in trouble. And I'm going to share a little secret with you. If you will walk according to the revealed will, the secret will of God will be in harmony with the revealed will, and you'll be blessed and you'll be favored. You don't have to worry about God's secret will. The Lord is way above us, as high as the heavens are above the earth. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. So don't try to figure this out. Just trust Him. Can you trust Him? Even when you know that He knows that you know, and he knows you know before you know. You can't outthink God and you can't have the last word with God. He's going to have the last word. Uh, if some of us live to be 100 years old, what is that to eternity? And I'm telling you, if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, if you Come to him, if you believe on him, if you say in your heart of hearts, Lord, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I'm going to trust you. Come hell or high water. I believe the Lord will save you. Based on his word. But resisting his will will lead to destruction. Job chapter 9 verse 4. Who has hardened himself against him and has prospered? Statement number four, men do, they can and they do resist the will of God, the revealed will of God, but those who do damn themselves. We have three admonitions in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3 verse 8, don't harden your hearts like the children of Israel did in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. While it is said today, if you, will, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the provocation. Hebrews 3.15. Finally, Hebrews 4, verse 8. He limited a certain day in David, saying, Today, after so long a time, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Hebrews 3.8, Hebrews 3.15, Hebrews 4, verse 7. Okay? Statement number five, the Lord suffers long with those who go on resisting, and then he damns them for their trouble. Are you in Romans chapter 9, verse 22? What if God, willing to show his love, is that what it says? What does it say? To show his wrath. What if God, willing to show his wrath, 
and to make his power known. What power was that? The power to destroy. Endured with much long suffering, much patience, vessels of wrath which are fitted to destruction. Let me ask you this. How long did God put up with the antediluvian age, the, 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 the age of Noah? He said, Noah, build a boat. Flood's coming. And every time Noah hammered, every time he says, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. How long did God put up with that generation? 120 years. Did anybody repent? Noah, his wife, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, eight souls with the animals, were spared, and the rest were judged. And God put up with them, and he knew they weren't going to believe. He knew that, but he put up with them for 120 years. He'd been putting up with this world since the death of his son for over 2,000 years. And he's not going to put up with it forever. It's going to come to an end. It's going to be destroyed, and his people are going to be redeemed. This is what it says in verse 22, that the Lord suffers long with those who go on resisting, and then he damns them for their trouble. He allowed the generation of Noah to go on for 120 years. He suffered a long time with the heathen of Canaan, and then he sent Israel in there, and they wiped them out. And he has suffered a long time with this world. Now, here's the question. Let's look at verse 19, and I'm going to close out here. Verse 19, who has resisted his will? That's a powerful truth. This is the truth of the absolute sovereignty of the will of God. Now, let me tell you something, and I want to leave you with these thoughts, and these, I think, are as important a thought or thoughts as I could leave you with. As they are as important as anything I've said thus far. When people are faced with the absolute sovereignty of the will of God, it discovers the rebellion in their hearts against divine authority. People who say, I won't have that kind of a God. Your heart is in rebellion against him. And the only thing that will expose your heart in its rebellion is to be exposed to the absolute sovereignty of the will of God. And nobody's being exposed to that today. We're told that Jesus loves everybody. He wants everybody to be saved. And if you'll have him, please do Jesus a little favor by walking an aisle, raising your hand, sign a card. Jesus loves you, and he wants to... No, no, no. That's... You don't read anything like that in Scripture. You read passages like John 2, 23. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. My friends, listen. The Lord is compassionate. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He is love, but you must surrender to him. And you mustn't second-guess him and say, well, I don't think that's right. Who are you, Paul says, to reply against God? What do I know? I don't know anything about what God's doing. Very little. But this, this truth of the sovereignty of the will of God will discover the rebellion of the human heart. 
And I would say this, the essence of saving faith is that the one possessing it, listen now, if you have saving faith, the person who has saving faith always wishes and prays for God's will to be done in the earth as it is done in heaven. Can you buy that? Can you say, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? And mean it? That doesn't mean you're going to always get your way. You know, I'm pretty, I don't know, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think I can walk in step with a lot that goes under the guise of Christianity today. I'm going to share this with you. I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to. That's why I get in trouble. When a man comes on TV and he says, and I saw this morning two or three programs, I was just running through the house. I wasn't sitting down watching them. And he's saying, now, <clears throat> this man brings a message, and then he offers three or four books. And it's, the last one I saw was for a gift of $100. And we will send you, listen to me, that's not a gift of $100. That's a purchase you're making. That's not a gift. They're not giving you anything. You're purchasing the books. You're purchasing the CDs. You're purchasing those things. If God wants somebody to be on TV, he's big enough to put them on TV and keep them on TV. Without them selling Jesus to the cheapest bidder. I do not believe in offering anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for sale. Nothing. I, I like the way we're taking up offerings. There's a box back there, and if you want to give, you give. That's between you and the Lord. A lot of people on the plate, plate, the plate is passed. They give because they're embarrassed. They're sitting next to somebody. You know. <laughs> well, they put in their $2. I put in my $2. No, no, no. You give as you purpose in your heart, and you give as unto him, and it doesn't make any difference what anybody else thinks. Let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's what Jesus said. So if I tell you I got a little message God gave me, and you can have it for $100, for your gift of a hundred, that's not a gift, my friend. You're purchasing that. You're purchasing it for a hundred dollars. I'm selling you something that cost me about 25 cents for that CD. And if I got to pay somebody to duplicate it, and you're going to send me a hundred dollars, I got about three dollars in it. I do not believe that's honest. I believe that's turning the, the, the grace of God into merchandise. I believe that's the same thing that Jesus drove them out of the temple about. I believe that. I believe that. The essence of saving faith is that one wishes for God's will to be done in earth as it is done in heaven. And lastly, true and saving faith, we need to learn true and saving faith does not question God and does not find fault with what he does, but bows in submission. Verse 20 of Romans chapter 9. O man, who are you? To reply against God, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? All right, one more passage. Revelation 17. Man, I thought I could get through this in 35 minutes. Revelation chapter 17. I promise you, this is the last passage. Everybody today is interested in the last days and what's going to happen in the last days of earth. Let me tell you one thing that's going to happen from Revelation Chapter 17. 
Remember this now. The whole purpose and essence of saving faith is to say, be able to say, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That means thy will be done in my life and in the particulars of my life, not just over there in the Ukraine, but where I live at 105 Virginia Court. May God's will be done right there and in my life. I need to be reconciled to the will of God, not questioning him. Can I trust him regardless when I don't understand what he's doing? Now, that's where the rubber meets the road. Revelation 17, everybody knows about Mystery Babylon. You've probably heard about it, about this woman that made the nations of the world drunk with the wine of her fornication, verse 2, Revelation 17. This woman, verse 14, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. And verse 6, I saw that woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this is some kind of religious system that has existed down through the world, down through the history of this world. Now, I, I, I shouldn't say this, but I've got to. This, the God of this world is Lucifer. The God of this world is Lucifer. The devil, Satan, he's the God of this world. We are those to whom the Lord has opened up our minds that we can see the gospel and we've come to Christ. When he comes again, then this world and all of his nations will be made the kingdoms and the nations of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this, the devil is in charge of this world. By permission. <laughs> Watch this now. Watch this. I don't know what all this means, but I, can, I know what this means. Revelation chapter 17. And he says, verse 13... All of these nations and all of these people that hate God and hate his people, they're going to make war with the Lamb, verse, verse uh, 14. And the Lamb shall overcome him, for he's Lord of lords, King of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he said to me, verse 15, the waters which you saw were where the great whore sits, or people and multitudes and nations and tongues. These waters represent all of that. And the ten horns which you saw, verse 16, Upon the beast, these will hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn it with fire. And watch this now, verse 17. And God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast unto the words of God shall be fulfilled. I tell you this, whatever the last days are, going to be according to the will of God. He's going, to let, he's going to let the devil and the people of the devil and everybody else run rampant and run crazy. And it's going to get a lot worse until the Lord Jesus comes. And then peace will come to this earth and not before. We are now soldiers of Christ, right? Soldiers are at war. This is not peacetime. This is wartime. And it's going to get worse. May the Lord add his blessings to his will. Let's stand together to his word. I appreciate you listening. You all are so quiet all the time.
that I don't know if you're taking it in or not. Some of you don't even nod your head, so I don't know. <laughs> and all I can do is give it out to you. I want you to think about this, though. If I have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am going to trust him regardless of what I know, what I don't know, what I understand, what I don't understand. I'm going to trust him. I can't figure it all out, but I can trust him. That's where your safety is. That's where your security is. I believe that anybody, anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who wants a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ saves sinners. It's our own fault if we perish in our sins. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to believe it, to submit to it, to be able to say amen to it, though we do, do not understand all of it. We do know that you're God. We know that you sit upon your throne. We know that you're working your will in history. And we know that there's a purpose behind it. And I pray that you'll help every one of us here today and those who may be watching by the internet to trust you. Regardless of what we do or do not understand, we don't trust you as far as we can understand. We trust you in spite of the fact that we don't understand. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've promised you'll be saved. And now we pray, I pray that you'll bless our bodies with the food that has been prepared, nourish them, strengthen us. Thank you for those who've brought the food, and may your name be glorified. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray for his sake. Amen. And thank you for your time and attention. You're dismissed. I'm going to dismiss you.